Hello, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Anti-Culture. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanen, and in today's episode, we'll be diving into cultural identity, Canadian multiculturalism, and Canada's National Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, as we sit down with Canada's first hijab-wearing television reporter, Janella Massa. The more exposure that I gained, the further I got in my career, you know, I came to Toronto, which you think would be, you know, it's a more multicultural city, but it also meant a lot more exposure, a lot more international attention. The more of that I got, the more hate I received. So it kind of went hand in hand. And, you know, and sometimes I get asked too, like, you know, do you like being recognized as the first hijabi journalist? Or like, do you wish that one day you could just be a journalist? Before we dive into today's show, I wanted to let you know that Anticulture is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can check out this show and more like it at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Today's episode is brought to you by ATB. ATB was built to help Alberta businesses. From CEBA applications to lending information, debt consolidation loans or deferrals, whatever your business is facing right now, ATB is here to help with expert advice. And with today's economy top of mind in business, stay up to date with the Future Of podcast, hosted by ATB's chief economist, Todd Hirsch. To learn more, visit atb.com. We're also shouting out Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your internet, electricity, and gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local non-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Janelle Massa is a Canadian Screen Award winner who made history in 2015 as Canada's first hijab-wearing television reporter. Known for her hard-hitting journalism and widely credited reporting portfolio in Canada, Janella hits a unique intersection of cultural identity. Like myself, Janella has a myriad of identifiers, Afro-Latina, Muslim, Canadian, North America's first hijab-wearing television reporter, but don't box her in just yet. Join us as we talk about the navigation of her identity, her experiences in shattering the glass ceilings around her, and how she became a national host of the CBC News Network with her show, Canada Tonight. Since January of this year, I've been a culture panelist on Janella's show, and I got to flip the script with her today and get to interview her and put her in the interviewer's seat. So it's an honor and privilege to present this episode of Anti-Culture. I really hope you enjoyed the episode with Janella Massa. Hello, Janella. Thank you so much for being on Anti-Culture with us today. Um, it's an honor to talk to you. I uh, just wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe introduce yourself to get started, maybe tell us a little bit about Canada Tonight and uh, let everyone know uh, what you're about. Yeah, my name is Janella Massa. I'm the host of Canada Tonight on CBC News Network. Um, it's really surreal, actually, to, um, to be a part of a show that, that has my name attached to it. It's actually Canada Tonight with Janella Massa. And uh, we're into month eight, no, 10, 11. <laughs> we started in January. So uh, almost getting up to a year, which is, feels crazy. Um, but just it was so exciting to be part of a new show that I got to help develop. 
um, and, uh, you know, really kind of put my, my take on. Uh, I've worked in news for t- uh, 11, 12 years um, almost. And um, yeah, as, you know, both behind the scenes and on air as a reporter, as a producer, as a writer. Um, so to be kind of on this national stage is, is really exciting. Definitely. Yeah. And do you feel like this is kind of a culmination of all the work you've done so far, those 11 years of journalism? Was this something you envisioned for yourself? I mean, a culmination? Absolutely. Did I envision it for myself? I think for a long time, I didn't even allow myself to dream that big. You know, I, I'm recognized as uh, the first hijab wearing television news reporter in Canada that happened in 2015 uh, when I was hired as a reporter in Kitchener. And for me, that was a big accomplishment. That was a big kind of reaching of a goal. And I remember I talked to people then and they'd say, oh, what's next for you? And I would say, you know, I'm just trying to do this really well. I'm just really excited to be here. And didn't even really think about what more I could do. Um, And so that's why I say it is so surreal to have this position as, uh, you know, the host of a national program to have, you know, my name on, on, to see my my face on a commercial. Um, Because I think for a long time, this was a space that I didn't see people like me in. So to even think that I could be in this space and occupy this space in the way that I do now seems so far-fetched. Um, and so every little milestone that achieved that I achieved, I, I felt really lucky and really grateful. And, you know, then I would achieve a little bit more and I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like I, I didn't really set out to set bigger goals for myself. I just kind of was going to see where it could take me and how far I could go. That's amazing. And we're so honored. I'm so happy that I live in Canada and that we have that you know, title that got bestowed to you as the first hijab wearing television reporter. I think that's amazing. And congratulations for all your success. Thank you. I did want to ask a little bit more about that, because I think it's obviously an amazing thing to have associated with your career. But I'm also curious if that's something that kind of did that come across right away? Did people kind of recognize like, oh, this is the first time this has happened? And did that initially make you feel kind of strange or were you like, this is great. I'm going to run with it. This is going to be kind of the thing that sets me apart. It's so funny because I feel like for a while it was kind of the elephant in the room that I had to address as even when I was um, like applying for on-air jobs. And it was, it was actually something that was, it was recommended to me by uh, um, a former professor who, um, her husband was Jewish and he had worked in TV and he wore a yarmulke and that was kind of not really common and um, had kind of a similar experience a little bit. And she said, you know, you kind of have to be the one to address the elephant in the room. No one wants to say it. No one wants to ask. No one wants to bring it up. They don't want to be accused of discrimination. But the reality is they have questions. They have assumptions. Um, and it may be a reason that they pass you over because they don't know and they're not sure. So they don't want to bring it up and they may not offer you the job because of their own fears about your limitations. So you have to be the one to kind of bring it up. So I did. And I think that that helped a lot, you know, when I was going through job interviews and I would say, look, I recognize that, you know, this might be a big risk for you. You know, no one's ever hired anyone who looks like me on TV. And, you know, and I'd open the door to a conversation and be able to let them ask me questions and, you know, um, quell any sort of fears or misconceptions that they might have. 
um, about whether or not it would limit my work. And the reality was that it didn't. Um, and so I think that opened the door for a lot of people to feel like, okay, I can have a conversation with her about it. She's open to talk about that. And, you know, and the reality is that, um, you know, I'm able to do my job just as well as anyone else. And so, you know, when I had my first on-air job, it was nerve wracking that first day going on TV. Obviously, you know, as a young journalist, your first time on TV, <laughs> you know, you, you want to make sure you do well. You want to make sure that you impress, that, that you don't feel like, you know, they regret hiring you or, and then on top of that, I had this added layer of like, what's the reaction going to be? Are people going to, you know, come and pick it outside the station and write emails to my boss? And, you know, I didn't know. And so I was pleasantly surprised. This was in Kitchener, Ontario, um, just outside of Toronto, um, by the positive reaction, the overwhelmingly positive reaction. And, and in some ways, the lack of reaction. <laughs> Not like no one really blinked. <laughs> and, you know, I'd be out and shooting stories by myself. I was a video journalist, so I was out by myself shooting stories. And people were talking, oh, you're the new girl at CTV. Uh, we love watching you. You're doing a great job. And that was so encouraging. Um, to feel like people could look past what I'd chosen to wear and see me as a journalist and recognize me for my work. Um, at the same time, the more exposure that I gained, the further I got in my career. You know, I came to Toronto, which you think would be, you know, it's a more multicultural city, but it also meant a lot more exposure, a lot more international attention. The more of that I got, the more hate I received. So it kind of went hand in hand. And, you know, and sometimes I get asked too, like, you know, do you like being recognized as the first hijabi journalist? Or like, do you wish that one day you could just be a journalist? And yeah, I would love for one day to the conversation be just about my work and how great it is. Um, but right now I feel like I have to have the conversation because I'm one of one, <laughs> um, at least on the national scale, there are other hijab wearing reporters um, locally um that I know I know of at least two in Canada um that have come after me and so that's really inspiring but still there's still so much room for there's room for more yeah and I I'm curious when you started off in your career um especially on television was that something that you you mentioned that you mentioned it during your job interviews and kind of just addressed that elephant in the room I'm curious if you recognized before you got into this field that that might be a limitation for you just maybe because of how our culture is or what kind of expectations you had for yourself and then following that I guess what was it that made you choose television specifically yeah I mean I did I did and I didn't think about it I feel like on the one hand like I knew it was it was going to be a first, but on the other hand, I tried to put it out of my mind because I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself. Mm. Um, and I did kind of, you know, have in the back of my mind the fear about like, will I be accepted in this industry? Will I be rejected? And it was also interesting because, you know, people ask me, did I face racism or discrimination in the industry? And I would have to say no, because no one ever told me to my face, right. you're not going to get hired because of how you dress. Right. Um, and but I knew that it was a conversation that was happening behind closed doors. And I knew that um, I could guess. <laughs> um, and, and, and sometimes people don't have to say it because most people, most of the time, you know, racism and stereotype and prejudice isn't obvious or in your face. 
It's it's in, you know, backhanded compliments. It's in ignorant questions. It's in underestimating me. It's in assumptions. It's in, right. So I had more of those kinds of interactions that may, led me to believe that people are kind of, you know, not sure <laughs> right. about whether, you know, I, I, I belonged in this space. Um, but that ambiguity is almost what gave me the room to be mm. able to push forward. And totally. say, well, maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe it's in my head, or maybe you know, um, you know. Later on, I did find out that um, one of my professors had had a conversation with one of my classmates, and this was like, you know, five years after I graduated. I was and I was on air. My my classmate told me, hey, you know, I've seen you. I've been watching you on TV. So proud of you. So excited for for what you've accomplished. I just wanted to tell you something that happened, you know, when we were in school, one of our professors had pulled me aside and had asked, do you, you know, would you talk to Janella? Do you think that she would ever consider removing her hijab? She's really talented, but I'm wow. afraid she's going to have a hard time in the industry. Hmm. Yeah. And so she didn't have a conversation with me, probably because she thought she would get in trouble for, <laughs> right. you know, right. Like, and so she asked my friend to kind of have it casually with me. And my friend was horrified. And was like, absolutely not. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And she never told me about it until wow. much later. And, and in a way, I'm kind of grateful that I was kind of shielded from that. Um, and I really appreciated um, knowing, though, right? So, you know, and I've had other conversations with producers when I was working, you know, behind the scenes who didn't know that I was wanted to be on air. Who'd say things like, you know oh yeah, they'll never put a woman in hijab on TV. It's just too distracting, you know, and just kind of a flippant comment and not recognizing the impact of that. So, so yeah, I mean, so yes, I mean, I think there were moments too, I, when I was younger where I thought maybe I'll just go into radio, then it doesn't matter what I look like. You know, if you, we, me and you are having this conversation audio only and you hear my name, Janelle Massa, right? You might paint a picture in your head and have no idea what I look like. And I can you and I and I did use that to my advantage a lot when I worked as a producer and I'd be calling up folks um, to come to the studio and then they'd show up looking for Janella Massa and it'd be me you know brown skin hijab and they were not expecting that and so yeah so I thought oh maybe I'll go into radio and then it doesn't matter what I look like um, and it was my mom who said well don't change your dreams don't change your 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 goals and and diminish yourself um, because you think other people might not want to give you a chance like don't stop yourself before you've even started right um and so she really encouraged me to like go for it and you know so you have a talent and and you know you deserve to to uh to be on tv like you know <laughs> yeah. and so so yeah so she really encouraged me to, to kind of go after it and just because it hadn't been done before doesn't didn't mean that I couldn't do it first that's amazing that's so inspiring to hear and I mean there's so much talk around that identifier associated with you. And I think it's a positive and it's also something that I think must be interesting to navigate because I mean, now you kind of have broken that glass ceiling, you have a national program, but there's so many other things that make up who you are. You're an amazing journalist, you're Afro-Latina, which I think a lot of people didn't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's so much that makes up who you are beyond hijab wearing reporter in North America. Yeah. And, and I, that's a part of my identity that often gets ignored, yeah. forgotten, erased. <laughs> totally. And how much of like, how much of those other identifiers, um, do you wish were kind of more highlighted or are you kind of just like, Hey, listen, let's just look at me and treat me like a person and look at my work. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's a huge part of my identity that makes up, you know, who I am. I was born in Panama my, to Spanish speaking parents. I speak a little bit of Spanish. I mean, maybe that's why I shy away from it is because then people want to be like, prove it. And then I have to embarrass myself with my, with my broken Spanish. Um, but, but it is a huge part of who I am and, you know, my identity and how I see the world is part of, you know, the food that I eat and the music that I listen to and, um, the, you know, my culture and my upbringing. Um, I still have a lot of family in Panama. Um, you know, I do speak a bit of Spanish and I understand and um, sometimes that gets forgotten because I think that it's, you know, people want to put me into a little box and um, it's much easier to just look at that part of my identity, especially because it's so visible. Um, but it's important, I think, even just as a journalist, because I bring so many different parts of my experience to my journalism and it informs how I see the world, um, not just because I'm, you know, an immigrant but also, you know, I came with a single mom who, you know, with two kids, she had a hundred dollars in her pocket, barely spoke English. And, you know, that shaped me, you know, I grew up with not a lot of money. I would, me and my sister were the first in our families to go to university. So all of those things impact how I see the world and impacts my storytelling and what, what I think, what issues I think are important for us to cover, who we should talk to, um, how I can relate to my guests that I have on my show. So yeah, sometimes it gets forgotten, but I mean, it does come out in other ways mm -hmm. um, in, in the sense of how I relate to some of the people that I, um, that I speak with. Totally. And I think um, something that I thought was really uh, fun was when you kind of were sharing a bit of your like DNA backstory and yeah. just kind of saying like, hey, I'm actually a black woman as well. And that might not be the first thing that comes to mind when we're talking about Janelle Massa or when we're seeing you on TV. And I just love that because yeah. I think there's so that's that's the situation for so many Canadians and myself included. There's this ambiguity. There's so many layers to what identity is, but those can come out in in different ways as you're talking to people or as you're navigating life or, or being excited about something. And uh, something that comes to mind, actually, is when we were doing a panel on Canada Tonight and we were talking about the Britney Spears story. And yes. that was so fun for me because uh, we did so, we did a lot of like serious stories. Um, and I think a lot of people were commenting on my ambiguity and not sure what to think about me. And it was kind of my first time being a little bit more public um, and to be able to talk about something that's fun like that, that people might not expect um, was exciting for me. And I think there's a joy in bringing out those different parts of one's identity. Yeah, I mean, I know whenever someone asks me, what's your background? And that's such a common question. I'm sure you right. get into yep. <laughs> um, when you're kind of racially ambiguous. What's your background? Where are you from? And I know every time I answer that question, like I'm in for like a 20 minute conversation because right. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many follow up questions. Um, but you mentioned my ancestry because, you know, from Panama, you know, for so long, I actually only identified as like Latina. I'm Hispanic. I'm Spanish speaking. Um, and um only later in life really came to understand and accept my blackness because it wasn't something that we really grew up talking about. Even though if you look at me and you look at my family, you look at my grandmother, like we're black. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the more lighter skinned in my family, but my cousins and my grandmother, you know, she, she has, you know, that is African type hair and we're black. And, but if you were to ask my grandmother, she would say, no, we're not black. Um, 
you know, to her, the idea of someone Black is someone from the Caribbean, someone from Jamaica, do they speak English, right? And, and we, we have a lot of that in Panama, people who came to work on the canal, and that was her definition of Black, right? But we have, um, th there's no doubt that African ancestry, just looking at our features, we just don't know what it is, and, and it's through slavery. So my aunt did this DNA test, and um, the ancestry DNA test, and uh I can't remember the percentage, but it was the majority. <laughs> the majority percentage was um, West African. Uh, I think I believe it was like Nigeria and Ghana, and uh, and then like the next one was Indigenous, which we knew that we knew that um, we had like my great grandmother is Indigenous to Panama. Um, there are many tribes in Panama, and then the smallest percentage was like European, Portuguese, and Spain from you know colonizers. Wow! So I'm like, here it is, Grandma. Like, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. We yeah. are black. Like, there, there's no shying away from that. And you say it loud and say it proud, right? But um, even the idea of being Afro-Latina, like that, that phrase, that word, it, what didn't come into my vocabulary until I was maybe in university. And I heard someone say that and I said, oh, that, that's what I am. Wow. That's what I am. And, and, you know, relating to that word. And how does that, um, how does that now that you have this terminology for it, how does that kind of come out in how you express yourself today? Was there something that shifted when you had that name for it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a matter of, of like claiming that part of my identity proudly and naming it and, and that is not something to be ashamed of. I mean, I think that for my grandmother, you know, there's a lot of internalized racism. There's a lot of, you know, back home when you talk, you look at people with fair skin and you, that's what you relate to pretty, right? That's what you relate to beauty. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember being told, like, I didn't know much about my ancestry, except someone would say, oh yes, but your grandfather, he was half, half French and he had green eyes. And like, why is that the part of my right. identity that I know about a grandfather that I've never met? Right. Like that's the part that we would celebrate and, mm. and talk about and be so proud of um, when clearly, as I see when I look at my DNA, that like there's so much of me that, that has come from Africa. And that's something that, that I should also celebrate and also claim. Um, so, yeah, just being able to to, to kind of, um, you know, unapologetically and proudly um, uh, take on that part of my identity and, and mm. um, not shy away from it. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing all that detail. Um, would you be able to share with us kind of what's happening with you next? Um, what's happening on Canada tonight? Where are you expecting to kind of take the next step of your journey? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're asking me that same question that I that I haven't been able to yeah. answer for the last six years. <laughs> you're just on the ride. <laughs> I'm just on the ride. I'm on the journey. I'm trying to, I'm always trying to do the best that I can where I am and, and learn as much as I can in the place that I am and be open to opportunity and be open to um, growing. And, you know, for me, I don't like to get complacent. I like to always challenge myself. And, you know, this, this is a, a real new challenge, especially taking on a new job during a pandemic um, and starting a new show at a new station with a new team, some of whom I've never still met in person a year in. Uh, it's been a, it's been a <laughs> interesting road. I'm very much looking forward to when we can all be back together in the office because, um, yeah, it's been, it, we've had our work cut out for us trying to build something and, and build relationships and trust and um, with people who, through a little screen. So I'm just trying to do the best I can where I am and, and see where it takes me. 
And do you have a favorite moment in the journey so far that sticks out to you with Canada tonight? Oh, gosh. You know, this is always such a hard question to answer because, you know, people ask me a lot of people ask me this a lot throughout my career. Do you have a favorite story or favorite person you've interviewed? And the thing is that the moments that have always stuck with me are always the tragic ones, are always the sad moments, you know, and and they stay with you. Um, That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think that, you know, in news, you cover a lot of doom and gloom, you interact with a lot of people who've experienced trauma and hardship. And we have to really, you know, um, be conscious of the fact that they're trusting us with their stories. And so they do stay with me. And and for me, you know, in the last year, the biggest event that has stayed with me was the, the London attack. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I wasn't meant to be working that day. I was, someone had called in sick. And so I came in early to fill in in the afternoon before my show. Um, and an hour before the show, we found out uh, that this... Um, hit and run that had happened the day before was being classified as a hate crime. The, the, the victims were Muslim. And so we, you know, went into breaking news mode and we were going to do the full hour on this, on this story. Mm. And so, you know, I'm in my, I, I've kind of put my journalism hat on and, you know, I'm in breaking news mode and we get into onto the set and every guest I had on that hour was Muslim. Hmm. Um, we had someone from National Council of Community Muslims, a, uh, an imam from the local mosque, a, a local city councilor who was a Muslim. And, you know, there was something really comforting, or I at least felt, you know, here we were talking to these people who had just learned this news half an hour ago and were coming on live TV to talk about it. And we're yeah. still like digesting and processing it. And I felt really grateful that it was me yeah. who was on the other side of that doing the interview because they knew that I was somebody who understood what they were feeling in that moment Mm -hmm. who could empathize with them and was going through it with them at the same time um so even though it was this horrible tragic thing I just thought wow um I'm really I feel really blessed that that I got to be here for these uh for these folks um in a way that maybe another reporter couldn't um and, you know, and that extended into, you know, our coverage uh, of the vigil. And I, I made some comments that night as well about, you know, the impact of what had happened and, and how, you know, I was feeling as a, as a Muslim woman. And um, and I got so many messages that night hmm. from people. Thank you so much for, you know, being a voice for us. And for this is why, you know, we need to see ourselves on a national stage like this. Um, and that was really heartening. And um, yeah, it's that's that that will stay with me for a long time. That's such a powerful moment of history. And I'm so glad that you got to be the one that was covering it, as you said, and show show that empathy and voice to to the nation. That's really powerful. Thanks. Thank you so much, Janella, and thank you so much for being an example that there are no limitations on our dreams. And I just really appreciate what you represent for us in Canada and beyond, and appreciate the time to get to chat with you today. Thanks so much, Josiah. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Anti-Culture. We have a great season ahead of us still with a lot more episodes that I'm excited to share with you. Make sure you're subscribed to the show and follow us along on social media at Josiah Podcast. You can also check out our website at josiahpodcast.com. 
You can watch Janela Massa every single weeknight on CBC News Network at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on her show, Canada Tonight with Janela Massa. You can also follow Janela on Instagram at Janela Massa TV and on Twitter at Janela M. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode and we'll see you next week for another episode of Anti Culture.